Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. As we continue our study through the Ten Commandments, we look this morning at the Fourth Commandment, which you will find beginning in verse 8. And then afterwards, I will turn over briefly to read from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. This is God's word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then from Matthew chapter 11. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Time magazine once asked one of the richest and most famous entrepreneurs in the world this simple question, why don't you believe in God? And as part of his answer, this is a statement that he made. Just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more that I could be doing on a Sunday. Now, I'm sure at some level he was being facetious, but I'm also fairly sure that he was revealing more about his values and his ultimate hope in life than he really cared to reveal. God commands us, as one of the Ten Commandments, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now I want you to just imagine for a moment, in its historical context, What a gift this was to the Israelites. This is a people who had just been delivered from slavery. They had spent hundreds and years under the harsh whip of the Egyptians. They worked 24-7 for the sake of Pharaoh and for his glory and his kingdom. And now God has delivered them. God has brought them to himself in the wilderness. And he says to them, you work six days, and then I'm giving you one day as a day unto the Lord. We have many masters in our lives, or would-be masters, who would like us to work 24-7 for them. But the Lord's yoke is easy, his burdens are light. Eugene Peterson said this about the Sabbath day. 
or the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day. He said, nothing less than a command from God has the power to intervene in the vicious, accelerating, self-perpetuating cycle of faithless and graceless busyness. Let me read that to you again. Nothing less than a command from God has the power to intervene in the vicious, accelerating, self-perpetuating cycle of faithless and graceless busyness. We have a forgotten cure for the spiritual, emotional, and physical weariness that plagues our culture. It's called the Sabbath day. Sabbath keeping, I will admit to you, is radically countercultural. Certainly, in this busy culture, this society that we live in. But it is even sad to say, radically countercultural within the church culture these days. I think partly that's due to some misinterpretation of some passages of Scripture, but I would hazard to guess that it's also largely due to a worldliness that has crept in to our lives. We are conforming to the spirit of the age. And we're giving up this precious, incredibly valuable gift that God has given to us. Let me begin by just asking the simple question, what is the Sabbath? What is its purpose? The word itself, it's a Hebrew word, Sabbath. The word means to cease. Stop exerting yourself. To pause. That's what the word Sabbath means. And the commandment makes it clear that what we are to cease from doing is the normal work of our daily lives. What we do the other six days, the labors, the responsibilities, the callings upon our life. The pursuit of our career. The responsibilities, many of them, of our household. If you're a student, Yes, I think you have to seriously take the implications for what it means for your studies because being a student is your full-time job. You need the rest that God has provided for you in the Sabbath day. Don't have time to get into it, but yes, there are exceptions. The scriptures and our standards allow for works of necessity and mercy. I do a lot of work on the Sabbath that's very much related to my normal career, Doctors, nurses, policemen, soldiers, there are jobs that just can't shut down for the day. I had a very fascinating and and encouraging conversation with a grad student in the medical field after the first service as he wrestled with, how does this apply to my life? I know, and as a matter of fact, you grad students in particular, I'd love to sit down with a group of you and talk about how this might apply. There are some very difficult decisions, but... What this identifies is the fact that we all need what the Lord has offered to us in the keeping of the Sabbath. But you'll notice that it's more in the commandment itself. You notice right away it's more than just work stoppage, isn't it? Because the key word there is remember. Remember. Stop. Pause. So that you have the ability to remember. And remembering in Scripture is not just calling to mind, but remembering is 
meditating upon, dwelling upon, setting your focus upon something so that you might understand it more deeply and apply it to your life. And so the Lord says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember. It's a corporate activity. In Leviticus 23, verse 3, it expands upon the fourth commandment. And it says, six days shall you work your work be done, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. And that's interesting. It's meant to be a convocation, which means a gathering together of God's people. We are to gather together and remember We are to encourage one another in remembering. Well, of course, that begs the question, what are we to remember? What are we to focus upon? Two things. Actually, one of them is given here in this giving of the Ten Commandments that we have in Exodus 20, which describes the original giving at Mount Sinai. And then the second reason that is given when the commandments are given a second time in Deuteronomy 5, just before God's people go into the Promised Land. Let me give you the first reason that we find here in verse 11, that on the Sabbath day we stop our work and remember, in order to remember and celebrate God's work in creation. That's what's referred to in verse 11. In six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Understand that to be godly means many things. But one of those things is that you follow the pattern that God set for our week. That you work, you labor for six days, and then you rest for a day. That's what it means to be godly. That's one of the things that it means to be godly. To follow his pattern for our week. So that kind of begs the question, well, what did God do on his day of rest? I doubt he took a nap. He didn't need to take a nap after even the awesome work of six days of bringing the creation into existence. What did he do on his day of rest? We have a clear indication, I think, at the very end of chapter 1. You have the account of the creation in Genesis 1. very end of that chapter, verse 31, says this. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He paused, and he reflected, and he remembered, and he focused upon the glory of of his creation as it reflected his own glory. Now, if you've ever read anything John Piper's written, you understand that there's nothing wrong with saying that God enjoyed his own glory. His own glory as it reflect it was reflected in the beauty and the order and the complexity of this universe that he had just spoken into existence. And so really, as you think about the Sabbath day as it's meant to be focused upon God's creation, it's really ultimately to be focused upon the glory of God. It's a day to pause, to behold the glory of God. The Sabbath is meant to be a day to reboot. Shut down the busyness of your life so that you can reboot and recalibrate your life and refocus Upon the glory of God, because that is the ultimate good of your life. That is to be the ultimate desire of your life, to see the glory of God. You see, the Sabbath is not a day for inactivity. Matter of fact, our standards say, the larger catechism says, we are not to profane the day by idleness. It is to be a day full of God-centered, glory-filled 
activity as we gather together in a holy convocation of God's people to behold his glory together. We reset our focus. We spend our time in worship, fellowship with God's people, enjoying God's creation, enjoying God's people, enjoying God's provisions, focusing focusing upon the glory of God and doing the work of his kingdom. But sin is in our lives. Sin is in our hearts. Sin is in our relationships. Sin is in our culture. And because of the reality of sin, this creation ordinance, this Sabbath, which God established when he created the world, is affected by sin. And so that brings about the second purpose of the Lord's day or the Sabbath day. And I will use those words interchangeably, even though the Lord's day tends to be the New Testament term for it. And the Sabbath day tends to be the Old Testament term. We're really talking about the same basic principle of life. The second purpose of the Sabbath is that we are to stop our work to remember and celebrate God's work in redemption. It's a day to remember that we are redeemed people. In Deuteronomy 5, as I said, much years later, when they are about to go into the promised land, God gives the Ten Commandments again, and they're almost identical to when he gave them on Mount Sinai, but the fourth commandment is the one that has a significant difference, and I've always been fascinated by this. The reason for keeping the Lord's Day, for keeping the Sabbath, the reason that is given is different than it is given the reason of creation the first time. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It's a day to pause and remember that we are a delivered people. We are a redeemed people. A day to remember that we are saved by the grace of God and brought to himself by that same grace. You know, it's interesting. If you go on to Exodus chapter 31, again, it elaborates on this commandment about keeping the Sabbath. And listen to what it says in Exodus 31 verses 12 and 13. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign. This is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That's interesting to me that he calls the Sabbath a sign. Now, we talked a lot about signs back in the beginning of John's Gospel. Signs are things that the Lord does or the Lord gives that symbolize or signify some deeper spiritual truth. And so he establishes covenant with his people and he adds to it a sign which represents some key central spiritual truth about that covenant relationship between him and his people. When you think of other signs of the covenant, the rainbow was a sign of the covenant. Circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs of the new covenant. When you think of signs of the covenant, that's what they do. They teach us something central about what the covenant relationship with God is like by his grace. So what spiritual truth does the sign of the Sabbath point to? What's interesting, if you go back to Genesis 5, there you have a man named Lamech. And all we know about Lamech is that he was Noah's father. And listen to what he said about the naming of his son Noah. Listen to what he said. 
Now he shall be called Noah, saying, This is the one who will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. The name Noah is related to the Hebrew word for rest. He named his son Rest. Why? Because he hoped that this son, his son, would be the one who would be the seed of the woman who was promised that would be sent to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. The one who would undo the curse upon creation. The one who would do away with sin and rebellion. The one who would restore the creation to what God originally intended it in the beginning. God had promised this to Adam and Eve. And now Lamech names his son Rest, saying, I hope that my son will be the one to bring this rest. And so rest really becomes a way of talking about what Eden was and what the new heavens and the new earth will be someday. A place where sin is gone and all the effects of sin are gone. Where God dwells among his people and we see his face and we see his glory. And we are without sin in all of its effects. That's what rest really is, scripturally speaking. That's what Lamech hoped his son would bring. But he didn't. Abraham was given the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey where God would dwell among his people and the will of God would be obeyed. And that was the hope of rest. But Abraham didn't see it in his life. In Matthew chapter 11, I read a moment ago, Jesus said this, and with this background, listen to the weight of what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you feel the weight of that promise? Come to me, this rest that you've longed for, this deliverance, this redemption, this wholeness, this Eden, this new heavens and a new earth, this freedom from sin and guilt. Come to me and I will give you this rest. Noah didn't bring rest. Abraham didn't bring rest. Moses didn't bring rest. Joshua didn't bring rest. That's why that great chapter, Hebrews chapter 4, talks about how Joshua did not bring rest when the people came into the promised land. There still remains a rest for the people of God. Don't let unbelief keep you out of it, he says. Believe. Come to Jesus. Receive that rest in a partial form and trust in him to provide that rest in its ultimate form in the new heavens and new earth. It's really the gospel. Christians have debated through generations about whether the Sabbath keeping of the Old Testament was really just a ceremonial law, kind of like the sacrifices and the temple and the priesthood, all of those things of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that were done away with when Christ came and they were all shadows of Christ. And so when Christ brought the fulfillment, they're gone. Unfortunately, some Christians both today and throughout the past, have attributed the Sabbath to all of that ceremonial law and say it's no longer for Christians. What a shame. But I understand why they say that. Because it did point to spiritual truths. It was a sign of the covenant. 
And so it did represent this great spiritual truth that Christ brought in its fullness. But it wasn't only ceremonial. It is both ceremonial and moral. We know it's moral because it goes back to creation. It was God's pattern for life. We know it's moral because he, he codified it in the Ten Commandments. None of the other nine are ceremonial. All Ten Commandments have a moral element to it. There is a need that we cannot deny, a need for rest as we live under the curse in this fallen world. And God has given us the Sabbath to address that need. You know, it's the typological, we call it the typological nature of the Sabbath, the fact that it points to a deeper spiritual truth. That's why the apostles, that appears to be their reasoning for changing the Sabbath day from the seventh day, as the Old Testament people of God observed it, to the first day of the week, as the church has always observed it. The first day was the day of the resurrection. Christ defeated death. Christ undid the curse when he died and was raised from the dead. And so the church appropriately moves the Sabbath to the first day of the week when he was raised from the dead because that is our celebration of rest. It's all about the resurrection. When Christ was raised from the dead, the first time he met with his gathered disciples was on the first day of the week, the day of his resurrection. Second time he met with his gathered, convocated disciples was on the first day of the week, one week later. He set the pattern. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul was preaching, it says, it makes a point in the text of saying that the church gathered on the first day of the week to hear God's word and to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul tells the churches to collect offerings for the poor people and to do it on the first day of the week because that's when they gathered for worship. In Revelation 1, The Apostle John, in giving his vision, makes a point of saying that he received these visions on the Lord's Day. And that's the first time we have that phrase used in Scripture, on the Lord's Day. What was the Lord's Day? The first day of the week. The day when the church celebrated the resurrection. The Sabbath, the Lord's Day, it's a day to remember, to cease, to pause, and remember God's great glory revealed in his creation and remember his great work of redemption through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, whereby we receive a provisional rest and the certainty, the promise of ultimate rest of the new heavens and the new earth. A moment ago, I said that the scriptures make it clear that the Sabbath, the keeping of the Sabbath is a sign. And when I talk about signs sometimes, I talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper as signs of the covenant, signs of our covenant relationship with God. Often I'll use a wedding ring as as an illustration. And I think it's just a great illustration in a sense, limited but great in in a sense, because this ring around my finger is a sign, it's a symbol of my marriage covenant with my wife. In a very similar way, Sabbath keeping is meant to be a sign of, For the people of God, that as you keep the Sabbath, you are being marked, that you belong to God. You're in a covenant relationship with God. You belong to him. So let me ask you this. What would it say to the world if I refused to wear my wedding ring? What if I hid it from the world? What if I didn't use it? What was that saying about my relationship with God? What's about saying about my relationship with my wife? And what would not keeping the Sabbath say about my relationship with God? 
So that begs the big question. And I wish we had 12 hours to talk about this one, but how are we to keep the Sabbath? Once you accept the fact that this is an ongoing commandment, and it's not only a commandment, it's a gift to the church so that we might refocus, reboot, and recalibrate, the question becomes, how do we do that? And the more pagan, the more opposed to scriptural principles our culture becomes, the more difficult it becomes. But let me say this, the more Sabbath-keeping marks the people of God the more it makes us stand out and the more it is a testimony to what we live for. Yes, it is difficult. And the one thing, and I'm going to say this again, I'm trying every time we address one of these commandments, I am trying as hard as I can to avoid falling into legalism. And keeping the Sabbath is one of those areas where it's very easy to fall into legalism. And one of the reasons for that is that there are very There's very little in Scripture in terms of detailed prescriptions for how to keep the Sabbath. I think that that's intentional. Because, as with all the other commandments, it's about the heart more than about outward activity. The Pharisees in Jesus' day had over 1,500 man-made rules about how to keep the Sabbath in the right way. And we know just from one incident during the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, we know from just one incident that they believed that if you walked through a farmer's field and you grabbed a few heads of wheat, that was called harvesting, and that's breaking the Sabbath in their mind. It's working on the Sabbath day. And if you took those grains of wheat and you rubbed them in your hand so that you could eat them, that was threshing, and therefore was a second way of breaking the commandment about keeping the Lord's day. They had turned this gift into a straitjacket. They had turned the gift of the Lord into a burden that was too heavy for anybody to bear. And it was filled with guilt and shame. That's why, and I know that some of you might want to point to some of the seemingly negative comments that the Apostle Paul makes about Sabbath-keeping in his epistles and say, well, see, we aren't supposed to keep it anymore because Paul had a negative view of Sabbath-keeping. That's not true. Paul had a negative view of Sabbath-keeping as a legalistic way of earning favor with God, of of conditional relationship with God. If that's what you viewed Sabbath-keeping as, then Paul was certainly opposed to that because it was a perversion of God's gift. You see, the Sabbath day really isn't about a list of rules. It's about the Lord. The Sabbath day is not about what you give up. It's about what you're enabled to receive. So first of all, how do you keep the Lord's day? How do you keep the Sabbath day? We celebrate it by making it holy. And this is a very simple principle, very hard to implement. But you really have to understand the principle to begin with. The first day of the week is the Lord's day. It belongs to him in a special way. Now, you might say, well, don't all my days belong to the Lord? He's the Lord of my life. Yes, they do. But you are to give one out of seven to him and set it apart, not treat it as common, not treat it as your normal other six days of the week. Make sure it's different. And what's to make it different is the fact that it is in a very special way given to the Lord. It's very similar to the tithe, isn't it? The Lord asks of us to give 10% of our income to him and to the work of his kingdom. 
He owns everything. He owns every penny in my pocket. He owns every possession I own. But he asked me in a special way to give 10% of it directly to him. And that that is an act of trust that he will provide that I will be able to live on 90% of my income. And I show that faith by giving one-tenth. That's really what the Sabbath day is, isn't it? Give him one-seventh of your time. We always feel like we don't have enough time. We have more responsibilities than time we have to fulfill those responsibilities. He says, give me one-seventh of your time and trust me that I will provide for you in six-sevenths of your time. Trust me. I've heard many Christians tell stories and give glowing testimonies about how before they knew the Lord, they didn't have enough money on all their income, but when they knew the, came to know the Lord, they got convicted they should give this one-tenth of their income to the Lord. And then they have these great testimonies. Look at how the Lord provided for me because I trusted him with my tithe. But I don't hear many testimonies. I should hear more testimonies in the church about I gave the Lord one-seventh of my time. I never have enough time to do everything I need to do, but I gave him one-seventh of my time, and look, I have time to do everything that I need to do. The Lord will provide. It's all about loyalty, isn't it? It's about priority. It's about trust. It's about faith. All of God's gifts are received by faith. You can't receive the gift if you don't have faith. It's a great story back in Judges chapter 7 where the Midianites were the big evil empire of the day. And God raised up for his people a man named Gideon. And and Gideon raised up an army to go up against the evil masses of the Midianites. And Gideon was able to raise an army of about 32,000 men to go and fight against the Midianites. But the Lord looked at him, and this is what he says in in Judges 7, verse 2. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. The Midianites outnumbered them with their 32,000 men by many times over. But the Lord says, you've got too many men. Because I don't want you boasting and thinking that your deliverance came by your own efforts. So Gideon went to the arms and said, if any of you are afraid, go home. Two-thirds of the men went home. He was left with an army of 10,000 men. And the Lord said, you still have too many, Gideon. So Gideon took him down to the river and said, take a drink. And the men who who took the water in their hands and and drank it out of their hands, he said, okay, those 300 men, you come with me. You're my army. The point of the victory that day. These men, these 300 men, used all of their bravery, all of their effort, all of their energy And they fought the Midianites as best they could, but without the Lord's intervention, they would have been totally decimated. One of the points of that story is that we must trust in the Lord, not our resources. Trust in the Lord that he will give you the time you need if you give him one-seventh back. He'll provide. Keeping the Sabbath is an act of trust. It's an act of faith. It's really every Sabbath day you're going to be asked the question, am I going to live today by faith or am I going to live today by the flesh or by works? The flesh, the world, and the devil will say to you, you need to keep your job. You need to get your chores done. You need to get your shopping done. You need to get your homework done. Trust in the flesh. And the Lord will say to you, you need rest. Rest. 
And I will give it to you if you trust me with your Sabbath day. You need to worship. You need to fellowship with God's people. You need to to serve others. You need to relax. And you need to be strengthened. You need to be refocused. And you need the joy of the Lord to be your strength. And as our culture suffocates in busyness, we must stand out being marked by the rest that we receive on a regular cyclical basis from the Lord. How does your Lord's Day typically look? Is it a holy day? Does it look any different than the other six days? Is it a day of rest? Which brings me to the last point, quickly. We celebrate the Lord's Day not only by making it holy, but by making it our delight. Making it our delight. The mark that makes us stand out from the world isn't going to be a list of things that we don't do on the Sabbath. That's not what's going to make us stand out. What's going to mark us, what's going to make us stand out is this joy of the Lord that motivates us to keep the Sabbath. We often quote talking about the Sabbath, Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. This is where Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And too often when people read that, the way they're interpreting it is, hey, you can't put anything on me about how I keep the Sabbath. It was made for me. It's my day. I can live it any way I want to. That's not what it says. Matter of fact, it's not saying, if that's what it says, then the next line that Jesus would have come out of Jesus' mouth would have been, so you are Lord of the Sabbath. But that's not what it says. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he gives this rest to whomever he wills. Put your faith in him. Trust him with that one-seventh of your time. It is given as a gift to bless you. You need to understand the day that way or you'll never observe it rightly. The Sabbath day is a gift. With that background, let me read to you another very familiar verse about the Sabbath from Isaiah 58. Listen to what the prophet says. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Now, this may sound like it's contradicting what I'm saying. You've got to make the holy day your delight. But what he's saying here, your pleasure in the sense of the pleasure of your flesh, your will, your needs, your desires. Make it Instead of making it self-centered, if you make it the Lord's day and not your day, turn it, your foot from doing your pleasure on my holy day, he says, and call the Sabbath a delight. And the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, you're exchanging the temporary pleasures of getting your chores done, getting your homework done, getting, you know, whatever it is that's distracting you on the Lord's day. You're giving away the pleasure of that. And it's being replaced with the joy of the Lord. Delight in the Lord, which is far greater and it's eternal. You know how it is when you come back from a good vacation. You feel rested. You feel ready to go back to work. You know how bad vacation is when you come back and you feel like you have to take another vacation to get over your vacation. And too many of our vacations are like that, but honestly, too many of our Lord's days are like that. We feel like we need another rest before we start our week. The Lord's day that Sabbath day is given so that you can be renewed and refocused in the joy of the Lord so that you will be strong, so that your vision, your passion, 
your humility, your dependence upon the Lord will be renewed so that you're ready to go to work and serve him in the week to come. May your Sabbath day, your Lord's day, be holy today and may be filled with that delight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Lord's day. It is a gift to us that we have neglected. It's a gift that we've traded in for worldly and earthly pleasures. Help us, Lord, to repent. Help us to see your gift for what it is. Help us to experience it fully today and in the Lord's days to come. And may we walk in the strength and joy of the Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.